Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the double-edged double bill. This week we hear mobsters tell us a Bronx tale. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the wranglings like a yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. When we'll have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I'm Thomas Mariani, and I'm so glad you could come to my social club. Oh, have a seat over here. Get the pasta fazool. And you know what? Let me see your pocket. Here, buy yourself something nice. And I am Adam Thomas, and five... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, welcome everybody to the double hitch double bill uh in which in which uh, every week adam and i uh come to the table and talk about uh, you know two movies related to a topic uh we picked the two movies randomly at the end of our last episode and uh we decided to do one here uh where we've done gangster films as a topic before but we've never done sort of specifically like the mob movies as a topic, which, you know, is kind of odd considering how many Italian jokes you both make about me. There is no record of me ever doing that. <laughs> That's true, there's not hundreds of hours no, of audio of that, nope. Never happened. Forget about it. Eh? Forget about it. Eh? Thomas, come on, man. What's the matter you, huh? <laughs> I'm getting them all out now, though I'm sure there'll be several more as we continue on tonight's episode. Uh, but yeah, so we decided to do mob movies, because admittingly, as much as you know, that can be an awkward stereotype, especially for me, Familia, uh, they're very good movies when they're done right. Yeah, I'd say there's more often, well, maybe not more often, but I, I'd say it's a good 65 to 35% ratio of good to bad. Um... I mean, I don't know if I'd quite agree with that. I think it's very hit or miss for me, quite frankly, because, like, some people are trying to recreate, like, the Scorsese thing. It's something that, like, everyone pointed at, like, fucking Marvel bullshit stands or, like, whatever nerds who are complaining about Martin Scorsese just think, oh, he only makes lobster movies. That's all he makes. I can't, like, what does he got to say about anything about unoriginality or whatever? It's like, if you even look at, like, the Scorsese movies alone, every single one of his mob movies is so different from the other, despite maybe some stylistic familiarity. Like, the actual circumstances and the characters, there's still, like, so much variety from, like, a Goodfellas to the Irishman alone. I don't know. They all have De Niro. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's true. You know what? I I take back everything I've said about Marvel being formulaic and repetitive. De Niro, Scorsese's Tom Hiddleston. (laughs) 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 All the Tumblr stands love Robert De Niro. Yeah. All the kids on Tumblr fucking love Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. It should have been him and King Kong. Um, anyhow, yeah, no, I, I, I mean, we'll just look at Scorsese's filmography alone. He doesn't only do mobster movies. I mean, most of them, but I wouldn't say ta- Taxi Driver's not a mobster movie. You know, Silence sure as shit wasn't a mobster movie. I don't know, Last Temptation of Christ, very much like all the mob cliches ever since I could remember, I always wanted to be the Messiah, right? Yep. Yeah. Hey, 
call me Don Yoshua. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what about, what about outside of the Scorsese canon in general, Adam? What do you think uh, makes a good mob movie? Realism, I'd say, is one of the biggest things. If, I think we could both agree when they tend to go really over the top, uh, kind of like one we might be talking about tonight, or even like The Untouchables, there's moments of that, and you know, Gangster Squad for sure. It, it, you just... It becomes so unrelatable because everybody knows, you know, sort of the, well, most people know sort of the the reality of the mafia, be it through documentaries or even, you know, Scorsese's movies. But how many times on the biography channel when that was a thing did they play shit about Al Capone or Lucky Luciano or, you know, even Elliot Ness and the real untouchables and all this stuff. So everyone kind of knows the beats of it. And uh, when it becomes just so crazy and out of control, ridiculous, it, it, it sort of loses the grittiness of it. The good Mafia movies should have gritty parts and, and feel, you know, they're, they're fucking horrible criminals and gangsters, man. You should be scared of these guys, not applauding them. I don't know. Like, I don't necessarily mind sort of that cartoonish element, um, depending on, like, how the style of the movie actually is. Like, say, like, we talked about Dick Tracy on this show. I think that's a movie that deals with sort of, like, mob culture in, like, a very exaggerated, cartoonish way. But I think it's more what you're talking about in terms of, like, the um, how we sort of, quote-unquote, relate to them necessarily. Because there are plenty of movies where it's like, oh, it's, it's a much more, like, kind of grounded, like, gritty darkness thing, but also they're lionizing these people at the same time. I think that's also, like, that's far more easy a factor, honestly, than even, like, the, the silly mob movie being able to do that. Why'd you even ask for my fucking opinion then, you mook? You know, great point. But anyway, um, what I... <laughs> hey, hey, say hello to your mother for me. Zidi's terrible. Oh! <laughs> great job in imitating a Boston guy before going into the Zidi bit. Hey, how you doing? Say hello to your mother for me. Zidi's terrible. Oh, hey, oh, hey, yeah. oh, hey. I got some nice dresses if you want them. Oh, I don't know what the hell's going on tonight. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a very weird night. It's a weird night for everybody. But, you know, at the same time, even as, like, somebody who obviously, like, given the last name, I am Italian, um, that kind of, like, mob element always has sort of, like, been a recurring factor. It's, like, you know, not the worst stereotype to be depicted of a certain <laughs> group of people. At the same time with, like, mob movies and even, like, I always appreciate at least, like, that sense of familial identity to it. I think that's going to be a big thing with one of our movies we're going to be talking about is there's always that weird tug and pull between like, oh, they take care of you. They're your family. Even if it's like a found family, you feel like you're a part of the group. But then the moment anything seems slightly off, you are no longer part of that family. That's something I think needs to be very clear in these movies where it's like there's an attraction, there's a fascination with being a part of the criminal world. But at the same time, that criminal sort of instinct can immediately abandon you and leave you in the gutter to fucking die after being, like, shot or stabbed or whatever the hell. I think that's the most crucial thing possible. The guy who loves you and takes care of you might be the first one to shoot you in the face. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. But I agree with you. I think that's... But that's, I guess, what I was talking about more or less earlier before you completely shut me down and ruined me. Before I shot you in the face and left you yeah. to die in the gutter. <laughs> the ice, me, ice picked me in the back of the head. Uh, <laughs> I knew it was you, Adam. I knew it was you. <laughs> you broke my heart. Hey, forget it, boy. Hey. I don't care where you got it from. Bring it back. No, I, uh, 
<laughs> no, but that's the part I was talking about. Like that that's the stuff that these movies need, that the mafia movies really need to sort of yeah, you want the allure of it all and sort of the excitement these guys get these beautiful suits and they're paying for their family's rent and they're buying cars for their mom and buying houses. Like, yeah, it should be attractive, but then when it gets once it gets to the brutal nature of what's happening and just how quick, you know, they they sort of are to double cross each other, it should be like, oh God, there should be consequences to all of it. Because Guess what? For nine out of ten guys who are in the mafia, there's been severe consequences for them, be it prison time or death or someone in their family being killed or whatever it is. Life crime does not pay. Treat your mom the right. Uh. <laughs> That's probably like my favorite thing with like we talked about the Irishman a few years ago, but like how many times were they introduced somebody just like, oh hey, it's Lucky uh, Jeffy Hole. Oh look at him, and it's like a little <laughs> Jeffy Hole. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a little text thing that just says like, oh he died in a back alley like two years after this point. Except like it was like one guy just like died of old age. Everybody loved him. <laughs> <laughs> Sebastian Manicalo, hey, he's a comedian now. Oh. Because <laughs> he was in the, he was in the Irishman. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. But Adam, it's time we get to the two specific films we're talking about tonight that we picked at the end of our last episode, uh, and we you had uh, the bad picks for this, and we ended up with Mobsters from 1991, which you have uh, never heard of before. Right, I had never heard of until last week when we recorded, and I was like, "What? <laughs> what is this?" I was like, "That guy in Jaws." Oh, what? You kept the beach open, you son of a bitch. <laughs> and then uh, we have my good pick, which was one of my two choices, though. Shout out to our patrons, patreon.com slash dedbpod. They voted between my two titles, and we ended up with A Bronx Tale as our good pick. Uh, but we'll go ahead and start off with the bad one of Mobsters. They came to America looking for a better life. But a few old men controlled it all. It was time for some new blood. I just want your undivided attention. A few more stupid moves like that, they'll knock us over like bowling pins. Everybody needs protection. Christian Slater, Patrick Dempsey, Richard Grieco, Costas Mandalore, F. Murray Abraham. Laura Flynn Boyle, Michael Gambon, and Anthony Quinn. <laughs> Mobsters. You want revenge after 15 years? I've been busy. So Mobsters came out uh, July 26, 1991 uh, from director uh, Michael Karbalinoff. And uh, this was, like you mentioned, Adam, a movie I had not heard of, but uh, has a pretty big cast for the time, considering it stars Christian Slater as Lucky Luciano, an actual mobster, uh, but also Patrick Dempsey, Costas Mandalore, our favorite from the Saw series, um, and Richard Grieco uh, as Bugsy Siegel. Um, and they all play mobsters who, uh, in this continuity of this movie, grow up together and um, become like the new crime lords. They try and get rid of the old fogies that are currently uh, the head of sort of the mob uh, families. Uh, currently, and uh, like I mentioned, never knew what the fuck this was, but Adam, you clearly did, because this was your bad pick, so, uh, yeah. go on, what do you think of lobsters? I think it's young guns in pinstripe suits, 
for the most part. I mean, they totally tried to bite on that or sort of idea of this hot young cast, get them together, have them play versions of real life people, and just everybody's going to love it. And uh, yeah, Young Guns is still actually pretty fun. Uh, Mobsters is more like Young Guns too. Uh, not that great. It is a big cast, but I'd argue almost every single one of them is miscast in some way or the other. Uh, Richard Grieco plays Bugsy Siegel. <laughs> No, it doesn't work. Patrick Dempsey is trying so hard to be so tough, and it doesn't work. Like it's just most of this movie just falls fucking flat on its face. Like everybody's dressed nice, and the the sets are okay, the costuming's pretty good. It's just it's young hot mobsters, and you don't really care about any of them. The stakes even though they are very real, like people are going to die and all this stuff. You don't give a shit. I don't give a shit. And then it becomes just, they try to do this whole double cross him to double cross him to double cross him to double cross him. And you're like, I don't, I don't care. Oh, that's Chris Penn. All right, cool. Why is fucking Dumbledore talking like that? <laughs> like It's just, you know, Anthony Quinn, uh, yeah, he's clearly in a fat suit, and obviously, if he's the only person in a sauna wrapped in a sheet, (laughs) it's so fucking stupid. This movie's just... Look, I've seen maybe worse, but not much. At least I feel like if we would have gone the alternate choice gangster squad, I think we would have less to say. Uh, Yeah, um, I'll say this with mobsters... Um, having no real reference for it, even I haven't even seen the Young Guns movies, which shocked you apparently that <laughs> I had not seen those. At least the first one. What the hell? No, I, I have That's not. That's what gave um, us Dead or Alive by Bon Jovi. Come on, man. I mean, great contribution to music, of course, as everyone would agree. Um, but I think, like, watching this movie, I was constantly, like, baffled that this was a real movie. Like, every single step of this feels like it would be, like, a fake movie within a movie, or particularly, like, this would be a gag on The Critic, which was on around this time, that would have been, like, Jay Sherman's like, and now here's the new gangster picture, Mobsters, starring Christian Slater, and it would be, like, a 30-second bit (laughs) we'd see a clip of. Or if this was, like, made today, Papa John would produce it. <laughs> just no. the fakest Italian. Um, but yeah, it just it feels so much like a movie that like I'm baffled exists. Just because you, you kind of mentioned this at the end of the last episode, like this could have only happened in 1991 with this particular cast. Mm-hmm. Slater was still hot. I constantly had face blindness with Patrick Dempsey because I'm so used to like McDreamy era Patrick Dempsey, like Scream right. Three Dempsey, right? Like from that era onward, as opposed to here, just like he he doesn't look. Like, Patrick Dempsey. I had to keep reminding myself, like, oh, that's Patrick Dempsey. Like, he's one of those guys where, like, he aged into being way hotter <laughs> than he was, honestly, at this time. Yeah, he's a pretty good-looking dude. See, I remember from this era, though, because it was, like, Loverboy, and I forget the other movie. God damn it. It's actually a really good movie. He, like, pays a girl to go to prom with him and act like he's cool. Uh, but I remember him from this era. Because I grew up with those, you know, sort of 80s phony. They weren't Hughes movies, but they were on the cusp. Right, right. Um, and then uh, Costas Mandalore, who is, uh, like, all the all four of our main guys don't have great Italian accents necessarily, but Costas is the worst, I would argue, of, like, the it's four. It's pretty bad. It's right. pretty fucking bad. Because Australian, dude. The bit where, like, uh, Richard Greek has gone on his, like, rampage, and they cut back to, like, them hanging out at, like, that weird office that they're in, and Costas is just like, I can't believe you did that. Oh, it's gonna screw us all up. Oh no, what are we gonna do? I was like, what the fuck is this? What, are you, what is this? 
What are you talking about, man? It's super authentic. <laughs> and you mentioned like somebody like Anthony Quinn. I would say Quinn and uh, particularly F. Murray Abraham are the highlights of this movie to me. Because I would say F. Murray Abraham, want just genuinely a good actor. Always love seeing him in things. And here, when he's just like constantly berating these guys for being fucking morons, it's like, yeah, you're the most relatable person. I, I, I love you so much. <laughs> yeah, right. Because I, I agree right. with everything you're saying. Right. And Anthony Quinn is just like on some other plane of existence from everybody else, but he's like in the plane I want everyone to be on. Because <laughs> he's just like, oh, look, excuse me, I- I'm gonna I'm gonna help you out, but oh, let me eat this pasta. Oh, and he's just like grabbing it with his hands and shit. No, I 100% agree with you. I think he's really good in it. I just think the fat suit is outrageous. No, him and F. Murray Abraham are the, I agree, are the two best in the movie. Michael Gambon is just, it's, it's weird. Like, it's just such a weird performance yeah. where you don't know if he's, like, hitting on Christian Slater the whole time. Like, what is happening? And then he, but but he does have Robert Bizarre as his. Oh, Robert yeah. Zadar, of course. Yes, as his right-hand man. So that works. Right. Especially, like, when he comes in very early in the movie and he's just like, hey, yo, he's got to speak to you. And it's like, oh, Zadar. Oh, I don't really speak at all. <laughs> Let him do an accent. <laughs> That jaw's getting in your way, champ. <laughs> but he's trying his hardest, goddammit. He's trying <laughs> so hard. And it's just so weird also seeing him around any of those people, because all these other actors are clearly like of average height. Meanwhile, Robert Zadar's just like this massive, looming figure above everyone. It's just like, you're like a kaiju compared to everybody. <laughs> yeah, it looks sad stature. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, Patrick, but I see, yeah, Costas Mandalore. Costas Mandalore's been doing that same accent forever, though. That's the same voice he's got in fucking Saw. Dempsey though trying to do that like where he's trying to talk tough with that New York accent is so bad to me he's very nasal with it just like I don't know what you're talking about what's Listen, going on? it was always you Charlie it was always gonna be used like oh what is this garbage this is a movie that makes me respect him like a Dick Tracy way more because those like everyone in that cast except probably Warren Beatty, is, like, dialed in, as opposed to this is, like, what Dick Tracy would be if everyone was, like, a Warren Beatty and Dick Tracy. <laughs> yeah, that's very fair. That's actually incredibly accurate. That's the most accurate description you've ever given on a movie. <laughs> I mean, except to be fair, of course, F. Murray and Anthony Quinn feel like they could be under, like, a lot more makeup <laughs> and could be a part of that cast. Anthony Quinn basically is. And Robert, right. see, that's the thing, Robert Zadar looks like he is. Right, that's true. He's a Dick Tracy Tracy character. (laughs) Go get the wall face. (laughs) (laughs) R.I.P. to a legend, Robert Zadar. We're so sorry, but it's true. (laughs) I ain't sorry for shit. Forget about it. I love a Chris Penn, but he's definitely just kind of like in in B mode here. Um, Lara Flynn Boyle pops up. This is right after Twin Peaks had ended. She doesn't feel like she's given much material to work with. No, she's, she's solely to be like nude at one point and have a sex scene with Charlie Sheen. That's literally her. Not Charlie Sheen. Chris Slater. Same fucking guy at this time. Uh, that's clearly... The record, not now. Not, not now. now. Very no, different no, no, no. people. Very different people. Very, very different people. One of them's not a monster. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, she's clearly there just to be, like, sort of eye candy of the film. Right. Honestly, but, though, I would say there is one particular scene that is, like, the worst performance of this movie. If it's Mad Dog... It's Mad Dog. Yeah, Nicholas Sadler is Mad Dog, 100%. He's, He's so worst. bad. It's so over the top and yet not even good bad acting. Like, it is so fucking bad. I want half a million. I'd give you a one million. Five! You're like, uh, what is 
what is happening here? But the, like, the thing is, like, it's oh, it's not even, like, over the top in, like, the fun way. The way this is over the top is more about, like, if a kid is, like, angry at being cast in the school play. Yeah, he's so mad. He's mad that he's there. Like, this this is the delinquent kid who had to do the school play risk he'd fail, and he's very begrudging about being there. Right, and he's going to be as angry as he can to try to disrupt everybody else's performances. Yes, that's what it feels like. There's just, like, there's this weird anger about everything, particularly any of the stuff during that climax, where it's oh. just, like, after, like... Christian Slayer shoots the phone. He's like, it's grating every time he does something. (laughs) Yeah, it's, he's awful, but I will say he gets the shit shot out of him. That's the one thing you could say about this movie, the the violence, the gun shots and everything else. It's pretty crazy. Like it's pretty graphic violence. Yeah, that's true. I guess that's where it's kind of like, like we mentioned, this is definitely kind of coming off of like an untouchable thing that Dick Tracy, uh, but more untouchable since it's like the gore and stuff like that. It feels like it's trying to be like, oh, the squibs are so like big and boisterous. But then they try and combine that with sort of the Dick Tracy kind of like stylized thing down to there's that one point where I forgot who gets shot, but then their blood pulls out and then a casino montage starts. Oh, yeah. And it's, like, so poorly put together. Like, I can't emphasize enough how, like, there are so many, like, weird montages in this movie that are so poorly put together. Like, there's that one, or there's, I think, another montage where, like, everyone's trying to, like, whisper around, which is like, hey, who's uh, uh, this guy? Oh, this guy, whatever. Like, and they keep cutting to different people, like, at this party and shit like that. And it's just like, this is, like, so, I don't get what you're trying to display with this information. Like, what, what, what are we trying to accomplish with this montage? Art Thomas. Jeez. Oh, fair point. Right, uh, the the belongs in the museum. Yeah, so the eye of the beholder, baby. Uh, MoMA, please uh, put lobsters. <laughs> in there. Yeah, let's go. God, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, fuck the Van Gogh experience. What a lobsters! Just mad dogs, just yelling at you the whole time. I don't want to walk through Van Gogh paintings. I want to watch mobsters. Nineteen ninety. Yeah, pull up to see it with Christian Slater banging on a pool table. No, oh, yeah. my God. Right? <laughs> it's so bad. And the thing is, it's like the facial prosthetic they put on Christian Slater isn't terrible. Where they give him the sort of droopy eyelid and the scar and everything. Like, it looks pretty genuine, actually. Yeah, after he gets um, uh, caught up, mutilated. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. When his face and everything. Yeah, it's not too bad. Um, especially very prominent during the ending where they throw fucking Michael Gambon out the window. Which is. <laughs> where, so you have, where you have. Where you have. Bosch as Al Capone. Yep. <laughs> Why is that? What the fuck? <laughs> no, 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 wait, that's at the the very end, which I do love. The, the very end. ending of that, the very end, where like he ties well over pops was Al Capone, just like, oh, but who's gonna be the new leader? And Christian says, like, well, guess what? How about there is no new leader? How about we make the mob? Like, it's this weird. Like, what the? Are you bringing up the Legion of Doom? What do you do? What is? I this? know. I know. And all of them are like, I agree with Charlie. Yeah. Like, no. That's not how it happened. I highly doubt that's how it happened in real life. Did maybe Lucky Luciano have sort of a part in forming a a committee like how there was for a long time? Maybe. I highly doubt he walked into Al Capone and said, this is what we're going to do, motherfucker. Well, no, it's not even that. It's like that he's like, has this big inspiration. Like he's fucking Atticus Finch in the mobster fucking community or something. Just like, guy, I think we have the exact right way to, like, this is where that thing I'm talking about comes into very crucially we're like this is a stylized silly movie but the more crucial problem is that they treat like luciano and lanky and Costello and bugsy is like these are the best four friends and the, this is the summer that they became big <laughs> or yeah, yeah this summer they'll never forget like this is their coming of age story but just like how they you know uh, worked through the ranks and became like the most successful people it's like they're fucking mobsters <laughs> 
They're assholes. Why why are you turning them into just like these four young guns as you were saying? Oh, the th- I mean it, but honestly, a hundred percent that is what they were going for here. They I mean, there's no doubt. Because I mean if you, even if you look at the cast of the original young guns, but Charlie Shane, Key for Sutherland, Lou Diamond Phillips, I mean it was a hot young cast at the time. This them like that and it made a shitload of money. So oh we gotta do it again. Let's get other hot young actors, but let's just change the setting. And make it a lot less competently, because that's what this is. Yeah, and apparently, this is a quote from uh, Mr. Christian Slater about the film when it was released, um, saying that apparently it was heavily recut when it was released internationally. Quote, our movie ended up in bits and pieces all over the world. They had different versions flying to Japan and Europe and every other place. There were extended versions, shorter versions, all kinds of weird versions. In my opinion, audiences never got to see a full film. Somewhere in all that mess, there was a legitimate story. It was there in the script. Well, I don't know that I ever want to see it, so that's <laughs> fine. No, release, release the mobsters cut. The hashtag everyone will do. Yeah, 4K. 4K, yeah, 4K steelbook. Yeah, release the Snyder cut of mobsters. Oh man, I'm sure that'll be, it'll be a lot slower. It'll be much longer. And black and white. And black and white, yes, of course. Um, but do you think necessarily that like, there was a good version of at least this idea, maybe not this version of it, but do you think you could do a quote-unquote young guns kind of thing with these mobster characters? Is that inherently too flawed a premise to you? I think it's too flawed a premise because you're instantly going to want to get behind the guys and instantly be like, you know, hey, baby. so like even when they're doing this horrible shit and killing people in the middle of the street and doing all this, you, you don't care because it's just, no, nah, I don't think it works, man. Like they, I'd say they tried again, kind of with Hoodlum, um, I don't know if you're aware of that movie. No. It's with Lawrence Fishburne, Tim Roth, and Andy Garcia. Okay. And Andy Garcia actually plays Lucky Luciano. But Lawrence Fishburne is Bumpy Johnson, and I forget the Tim Roth character. He's, a, he's an Irish gangster. But even in that, it doesn't work. I'd argue the only time that, to me, it's really worked where you had real-life gangsters. I mean, of course, good fellas, but whatever. But I'm saying, like, real-life famous gangsters, and you had sort of someone moving in and out and meeting some of them and all this stuff. I'd say, like, Road to Perdition really works. Where, like, all of a sudden, here's Frank Nitty. And even in the cut scene, you know, which is fine. It's better than anything Monsters has to offer. But he meets Al Capone. Like, it's just, to me, that would work, but as far as, like, a Marvel team-up movie of gangsters, no, fuck off. Well, especially when, like, the movies that you're talking about tend to have, like, still that element of, like, oh, this is still all for naught. Like, many of these people die. Like, at the end of a tradition, a kid is left without a father or family. To mm-hmm. So, like, there's always that note of just, like, well, any of this can be gone in an instant, as opposed yeah. to like, doing, like, with, well, once again, haven't seen Young Guns, but I get that premise more with, like, the Old West, because it's just, like, that's distant enough. To where we're just like, oh, that was like the far off past that was completely removed from like modern age. Like it almost feels like it's a fantasy realm at this point. Because right. Like that distant a thing. So you can kind of go, get around like, yeah, Billy the Kid and all these other guys like get teamed up together. And there's like kind of a, a Western badass quality as opposed to like when you've got fucking automobiles. <laughs> that's the one where it's just like, no, these are like real people. <laughs> this just doesn't make any sense. There's no like, oh, the legend of these people. It's like, no, these were real people who like didn't have fucking smartphones at the at, at the time this movie came out like you know 65 70 years ago fuck anthony quinn was actual friends with the actual frank costello oh, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Like, he was yeah, alive yeah. to have known that dude yeah costas mandalor right right yeah God, who traveled back in time that's the real frank costello he's yeah, just it's crazy now he's hoffman for some reason i don't understand <laughs> what his deal is 
He's just like, oh, can I do this and eat as many hot dogs as possible yep. when there aren't takes happening? <laughs> Fuck yeah. Red Shoe Diaries, sign me up. <laughs> uh, well, Adam, we have another movie to talk about uh, in much more detail, much more glowingly. So your final thoughts on Mobsters. It sucks balls. Like I said, it's a shitty version of Young Guns. It's uh, populated by a huge cast and everybody's miscast and, and you don't really care about any of them like i said yeah maybe anthony quinn and f Murray abraham but they're on another level than everybody else needs to be and it just it just it's a mess yeah um i mean i would definitely agree with all that it's interesting we didn't mention this but this was one of three movies that featured bugsy siegel that were made uh, by major hollywood studios in 1991 uh because there was this there was the marrying man which uh, in which Armand Asante played him, and another movie, put a pin in that, we might talk about that a bit later, uh, but it's kind of interesting that all three of the movies that came out, uh, some of which were more successful than others, have really just been, like, vanished to time. This movie, in particular, just has the problem of, like, oh, we're gonna, like, make these, like, romantic heroes out of these gangsters, and it's like, the only way I think you can do that is while acknowledging sort of the, the death that's there. Even like, you know, a Scarface, for example, is a movie that's about like a gangster dude. It's heavily romanticized a lot of like sort of that weird toxic attention to it. Just like, oh, Tony Mantana, the best guy ever. Uh, even though, you know, we'll skirt around the fact that he died in a pile of cocaine and wanted to fuck his sister. Everybody remember that like that movie at least has like I can get why there's some romantic nature to that kind of character why that sort of fascination this version of like these guys uh they all seem like just fucking schlubs who I really don't give a shit about <laughs> like they're trying to be so cool and it's like I don't think any of these people are cool <laughs> yeah. to any degree whatsoever they're, they're a bunch of d-bags right bunch of d-bags uh so but uh, yeah, none of the romantic heroes that I have much investment in. Have much more investment in if Marie Abraham saying, you guys are a bunch of fuck-ups. And Anthony Quinn just being like, oh, you're a fuck-up, but you could be with me, my pastey! Oh, welcome to the family. You want to eat? I love to eat. <laughs> and we can't emphasize to have like 90% of Anthony Quinn's screen time is just eating. Is eating. <laughs> oh, just shoving food in his mouth. <laughs> shoving food. My favorite part, actually, real quick before we try, is when he's at the wedding with Christian Slater. Christian Slater's yes. describing what all the Jewish food is. It's like, it's kind of like uh, ravioli. Ravioli? I love ravioli. Give me some of that. <laughs> <laughs> So stupid. <laughs> you know, embracing a larger palate, of course, with Jewish food. Yeah, these are our matzo balls. Kind of like meatballs. Oh, I love a good meatball. That is 100% a literal exchange that happens. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> it's really bad. Really bad. Uh, but Adam, let's get to, uh, shockingly, a movie that's uh, much better written and much more interesting and uh, just good compared to mobsters, uh, A Bronx Tale. In a world called the Bronx. Look, I'm your father. I love you. You're breaking my heart. Sonny, trust me. That man can never trust anybody. The sooner you know that, the better. He was caught in a tug of war between his hardworking father. I tell you something to go to school, to go to You don't understand. It's not what you say. It's what he sees. It's the clothes. It's the cars. It's the money. I treat that kid like he's my son. He ain't your son. He's my son. And the man who owned the neighborhood. Don't you trust anybody? No. It's a horrible way to live. For me, it's the only way. Is it better to be loved or feared? I would rather be feared. Because fear lasts longer than love. Robert De Niro, Chaz Palminteri, 
You worry about yourself, your family, and the people that are close to you. That's what it comes down to. A Bronx Tale. So, A Bronx Tale came out uh, September 29th, 1993, uh, from Robert De Niro, uh, who most would know, of course, is an actor. He uh, is directing here for the first time, only his uh, first of two films, uh, because he only did The Good Shepherd after this, like, 13 years later. Uh, but this is based on the play by Chaz Palminteri, uh, who's also a character actor guy. Of course, most people would know him uh, from our neck of the woods as Milkshake Marvin from Oogie Loves. Adam's favorite version of uh, yep. any of his performances. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely loves milkshakes. Ooh, his favorite. Chaz wrote this as a one-man play that he performed multiple times, and apparently uh, Robert De Niro came over to him and said, like, we have to make this into a movie. This is such an incredible show and everything. Um, and Paul Monteri had been offered many times that particular sort of offer, as high as, like, a million dollars to adapt it, but the big problem was always uh, that, like, he was always not granted that primary role of, like, the screenwriter to adapt the play, and then also that he wanted to play Sonny, the gangster character in the script, uh, but at every single turn, nobody would allow him to do that. Big stars wanted to play that part. De Niro agreed, to, if he was able to direct the movie, that he would let Paul Monteri adapt the screenplay and actually play that part. And so they kind of agreed, and uh, this, this movie came together. And if you're unfamiliar with this movie, basically, it is the story of young uh, Calegro, uh, who we see initially at age 9 and then age 17 uh, in the halves of this movie, um, who's a young kid that's grown up in the Bronx uh, circa initially like the 50s and the ages up to being into like the 60s era. Um, and he is at sort of two ends in his town because uh, there's his workaday father, Lorenzo, played by De Niro, um, who's this, like, bus driver who's always trying to impart to him about, like, hey, you gotta, like, you know, actually work for a living, you gotta support your family, you gotta do this a legitimate way, but also is tempted by the local gangster, Sonny, as played by Paul Monteri, um, who is this constant figure who also wants him to go down the straight and narrow path, saying, let's just, hey, go to school, you gotta work right, this isn't the life for you, but also, I'll help you out, I can be a father to you. He takes a shine to this young boy after uh, Kelly Grove doesn't rat him out for murdering a guy right in front of him. Um, and it's this interesting sort of coming-of-age story about this young boy between two father figures. And this is a movie I'd heard about for ages, and was sort of like the, oh, this is like a great, wonderful, beautiful movie about monsters I had never seen until uh, the Oscars for the show and uh, picking it along with our patrons, uh, picking it as the choice for this episode. But Adam, I'm aware that uh, you were a big fan of Bronx Tale. Oh, yeah, definitely, man. Like, I didn't see it at the show or anything like that, but this was one of those that I definitely caught on cable. Uh, I don't know if I, if it was like on a pay channel like HBO or whatnot, or if it was on TNT or something like that. But after the first time I caught it, it just stuck with me. And I've seen it probably five, six times. I mean, I've seen... Other movies way more than that, even other gangster movies like Goodfellas. I know, but uh, this is kind of one that's always just really stuck there with me. And I think a big part of it is sort of the not necessarily role reversal, but the so against type De Niro in this, especially at the time and in this type of film. And he always just kind of stuck with me, and I just always remember it being such a fucking wonderful performance. Now watching it for the show or recently, anyways, uh, was the first time I've seen it in couple quite a few years. 
And uh, I, I feel exactly the same way about De Niro and uh, Palmateri, especially. Uh, I do got some problems with it, but I still think it's a great, great movie. Yeah, and so even with all that hype for me, um, of just like, oh, it's a great movie, you should definitely see it and just never seeing it until now, um, I can also say, I think this movie is pretty great. I really do agree with the consensus of just like that. That kind of tug and pull is so fascinating uh, between these two different characters. It's what we kind of talked about earlier with like the temptation of like the mobster life. What's so key is that like you get figures like Chas Palminteri as Sonny, who is just this like very jovial, sweet man to this kid, like really is feels like a surrogate father character in his own right to him in, in such a sweet way, only because his real father, who loves him dearly and pays as much attention as he can to him, has to work for a living. He's constantly on the bus, but is always just sort of like, hey, why don't you ride on the bus with me? We'll go down this particular way. We'll go all the way down to the end of our route and have like a little uh, island set up that where we go over like Staten Island and all that shit. It's just like, it's such an interesting kind of pull that I think particularly works during the first half uh, when we have uh, Calegri um, at age seven uh, as played by Francis Capper, which blew my mind. We're like, I'm watching this kid and I'm like, I've seen him in something. I can't fucking remember what. And I'm like, Oh, fuck, it's the kid from Kazam. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes, it is. And he's really good in this. He's really he's good. He's really, really good. And I completely agree with you. The first half of this movie is perfect. Like, legitimately. I mean, even to the point where, you know, Sonny's having to make sandwiches and all that shit. And, you know, throwing 20s in his pocket and all that. But then the kid witness Sonny commit a brutal murder. You know what I mean? Like... It's just there's just that juxtaposed and then his father really trying to connect with him and all this stuff. And there's so many great scenes in that first half of not just De Niro hanging out with the kid, but also De Niro and uh, his wife, uh, Rosina character, uh, Catherine Narducci. I love all those scenes where they're like on the fire escape and they're hanging out and it's just like, oh, you know, um, you, you, you decided to get with the bus driver. I think that was your fault. I loved you in that uniform. And also just like it's a very sweet, real relationship that happens between there and then all the scenes with him talking to the kid like in his bedroom talking about like look you know that guy just uh, does, can't trust anybody that's the real reason like you can't fucking do this you gotta like work for a living because if you don't you're gonna fall into that and you're gonna end up like being like one of the people he doesn't trust it's so beautifully handled yeah just the classic you know it's better to be loved than feared right and versus uh would you rather be loved or feared like you're almost right just like feared that lasts longer yeah and man I, I've always liked Chaz Palmetry. Like he's a great character actor, but I think this might be one of his strongest performances ever. Yeah, it's it's great, you know. And I, I want to bring it up. I, I've th- I've talked to you about it. I don't know if I brought it up on the show, but there's this uh, YouTube channel by this guy Michael Franzens, who was a real life gangster. In fact, he's called out by name in Goodfellas, where they're going through the bar. And, yes. you know, and there was Tommy Tuna, and they introduce him. So he's a real life guy, been through all this shit, and he talks about, you know, mafia movies. He reviews a different mafia movie every week. He also talks about other things, but he said his one of his all time favorite mobster movies is one this movie. Uh, he's like because this, that's how it was. He's like you know you, it seems so glamorous, but these guys just all they do is stab each other in the back, and you know they think they're bigger than they are. But he said there's so many scenes in this movie that relates to how they would do, like where they make the one guy who's bad luck go stand in the bathroom. Yes. While they're while they're betting, or when all the bikers come into the bar and he locks the door behind him, well now you can't leave. You know that shit. You're like, oh fuck, and it's just it's so good. And, and I like the thing that also he he is like the coolest guy on this block, but it's only because like oh everyone else is like everyone's dressed and everything. It's just, just like oh he's just slightly above all these people on like a stylish level. It's just like yeah. oh, oh look he's got a good suit. <laughs> that means he's like king shit of this fucking place. I, I love that too. That's just like he's a mobster, but it's just like he's still so low level at the same time. There's nothing extremely glamorous about his life. 
I completely, completely agree. Uh, now, I want to get to my biggest problem with the movie. Right. Is I think a thing we both agree with, right? <laughs> teenage scene, uh, which you know you might know from the movie Renaissance Man, starring Danny DeVito. Right. Um, he's fucking terrible. Right. Yeah. He is really, really bad. Um, he can barely show emotion. Like even when he's yelling, his eyes don't change. Like he's just—he's really, really just. I'm I'm really convinced the only reason he got that job was because like De Niro cloned him in a vat. I, I was gonna say he looks like a young De Niro. That's why he got right, it. Right. Exactly. Just like it, circa taxi drivers, just like let me put some DNA in a fucking vial, and 17 years later this thing comes out. That's that's it's gotta be right. It's gotta be right. And then what's her name? The one who plays his um. His love interest. Uh, Terrell Hicks? Yeah, also. Not great. I mean, look, I the big sort of crux of the problem I have is with necessarily like that relationship. I don't think it's on Terrell Hicks necessarily, because that character is so bizarrely written to me. In terms of like I, I get the idea initially of just like, okay, so there's this interesting romance between uh, a young Italian guy and this young black woman. And the two of them have, like, this obviously, like, oh, it's looked down upon, you know, there's not that much. But obviously, given the perspective here, we don't get much of her perspective on this thing. But also, when the conflict happens is where I have yeah. the massive issue. Like, I was so heartbroken by, like, the actual conflict that happens where at a certain point her brother um, is riding a bike and his Italian friends yeah. get, like, jump him. And he tries to help uh, which becomes like a huge crux of this, even though the help is just like, I'm going to berate you and be like, hey, man, don't do this. Get out of here. Yeah, <laughs> I guess stay down. Stay down. Right, right. That. Um, and then later on, he's confronted about this by Jane. And um, he does a bunch of stupid shit, including drop a hard N word. That's Yes, like he does. Upsetting. And then later on, she fucking is just, it's that one guy's like, hey, yo, some girl came over to look for you. Oh, my God, Jane. She's like, oh, hi. Yeah, she, my brother told me about what happened. Everything's cool. We're great. Everything's fine. Just like, no one wants, he doesn't want to apologize for saying a certain thing. No, it's <laughs> like, not that. It's not that. I'm not, like, I agree with you. I'm not saying her her character, yeah, it's it's not exactly a very fully formed character. It, it makes you obsessed. I'm literally just talking about the woodenness of her delivery. And it might be worse because she juxtaposed against him, but I, I, there's zero chemistry. There's zero anything, and it's very hard to follow because it is the last half of the movie. I think that's all on him. I don't think she's that bad in this movie. Oh, she's not good, dude, but whatever. Agree to disagree. I agree with she's not, like, in a, shockingly, in a movie with Robert De Niro and Chaz Palminteri, she isn't the best performance in it necessarily, but, like, I just think, like, her reacting off this plank of wood, dude. <laughs> like, it, it just, no, he's it, it the just, worst. He's yeah, the worst. He, the strength of, like, the rest of the movie is the fact that Palminteri and De Niro are so good that they're just, like, bringing out what they can out of him. They're, like, poking him. <laughs> To get something out of it. Like, who are you going to love? Who you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, come on, come on. Even, even when Paul Materi is like slapping him and accusing him of planting the bar. Why would I do that, Sonny? I loved you. Oh. You're like, oh, Notice there aren't a lot of shots of him like from the waist down, just like De Niro's like puppeteering him. <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> he's, he's, he's literally a puppet. He's fully Jim Henson just looking at yeah. a fucking monitor. While, like, yeah. it's, like, it's, the, it's the greatest latex like, person <laughs> you've ever seen. You know, the thing is, and honestly, we're not talking much. Like, that's the thing that gives this movie a four instead of a five star rating. Right. For me. Yes. Because everything, even around as terrible as he is, even his dickhead friends are great. 
Uh, the one was Young Tommy in Goodfellas, for God's sakes. De Niro and Paul Materi, great. That push and pull. Destruction of uh, Robert De Niro's relationship with his wife and sort of the way the family's turning. Then Paul Materi kind of like losing it a little bit. Like it, it's really, really well done. Right. And I like the fact that all that is done like with just gradually. Like yes. even him hanging out with his friends and them being like not sort of like the most evil mustache twirling villains, but like they're having fun together. And then like a black guy like drives down the street. And they're just like, what the fuck is he doing here? What are they doing here? And it becomes instantly like, oh yeah, this is always bubbling under the surface, no matter what in this community. And even like the, all the stuff of Palm and Terry were like the moment that he actually berates uh, Cal um, at, mm-hmm. at that, that one point. It's just like, it's, it's so heartbreaking. Because you know this kid, like, he's loved this guy like a father for so long. And then just the moment that happens and just completely destroys him internally. Just this guy's, like, berating him over, like, nothing. Over, like, something that actually, like, nothing actually happened. And, like, he's accusing him thinking that he would do something, like, potentially horrible. It's, like, it's so just, like, soul-crushing to see. And once again, it makes, works around the terrible performance at the center. It's terrible. It's so bad. It's so bad. And, dude, and what happens to his dickhead friends you're like oh no like it's pretty hardcore um but yeah you know again i really really think this is a solid solid movie and it's really about sort of male bonding in a way you know just juxtapose between father and son bonding i'd say even more so right Uh, yeah specifically juxtapose you know the backdrop of a, a mafia film but it's it's really well told you know obviously i don't have a son but i am a father and you know you're constantly yeah you want to point them in the right direction but those you know those evils and temptations are out there and it's like how are you going to navigate against that just i guess just by working as hard and being as honest as you can you might lose them after a while but hopefully if you teach them right they'll come back you know i mean that's a huge fear but man is it done well so well done and like i said palmitary is you know, and that, okay, here's the other thing about this movie. So, yeah, the scene where he's berating him, and I guess, spoiler alert, I, I guess, even though this movie's really old. Um, so, when ultimately what happens to Sonny happens, and it's the big scene of, like, C setting there, and then De Niro even comes in, is like, you know, yeah, I didn't, we didn't get along, but he's still an important person to you, so I'm here for you. But it's an, it, that should be a powerhouse, like, oh, my God, sobbing scene. But the the fucking kid is playing it just like oh thanks pop yeah okay yeah yeah Sonny I I thought I never did it sorry for you okay yeah I'm gonna take it easy you're like oh my god this kid is so fucking bad what are we doing <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time I still feel a lot of that emotion off of like De Niro in that scene when like Chaz Palminteri gets shot. All of, like, whatever tragedy I have about that guy is all on once again. Like, just how Chaz is so unaware of what's going on. Just, like, he's just that jovial light in his eyes where it's just like, oh, he's come back, Calegra. Oh, I love you so much. Bam. Shot. In yeah, the but they, yeah, but then they give Calegra that, no, see, and you're like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> God damn it. But I, again, though, I'm just talking shit about the parts I hate, but I would still recommend this movie to anyone. Like that's the thing. I th- yes, it's a mafia movie, but I would still. I I think anybody could get something out of this. I think this is a very very powerful movie. 
Right. I think a big part of it also is the fact that, like, uh, there I saw a great interview where from the time where De Niro was talking with, like, this guy who grew up in Chicago. And the guy was talking about how, like, look, I what I loved about this movie was the fact that, it, despite the fact that it's very clearly set in the Bronx, like, it feels like it could happen to, like, any sort of, like, urban environment or even just any community where, like, you feel some kind of kinship to somebody who's kind of, like, an outlaw. This dude who's just, like, who has, like, a reputation about him around town, but at the same time is so sweet to you and just, like, really wants to, like, impart good things to you despite, like, his own criminal past. I just love the fact that it, it's, once again, it portrays that messiness of humanity and just how constantly we're at these, like, weird poles where just, like, this guy is so loving, this guy is so dear, but then you grow up and you find out, oh, this person has a darker side to them. Like you find, yeah, out, like, yeah. you find out that your parents are like people, or in certain cases, like people who you thought were like true loved ones who like did nothing but good were capable of such awful things at the same time. I, I love stories like that, but just growing up and realizing that these figureheads that were so big are now just people about your same size, just a bit older. Yeah, I remember that interview. I remember my biggest part about it was, uh, you know, not enough brats or bears in it, though. <laughs> <laughs> De Niro, what about the bears? No hey, bears. why Why didn't you have no brats or Budweiser's in it, huh? Get the fuck out of here. Uh, uh, um, <laughs> uh, so the film comes out September 29th. <laughs> Look, I'm on my fourth bite mess. <laughs> I might not make it that long. Um, but no, uh, that's my new favorite character. Uh, <laughs> Just ripping it from Chris Farley. Fine. Yeah, basically. But I think that's a humbling, important thing that happens to really everyone in life where you realize these sort of, like you said, these bigger than life entities that are your parents or the, the guy on the street or your boss as your first job or whatever. Once you wake up and realize, oh, these are just people who have all the same problems who go home and, you know, their kids might be acting up or they're in a, their relationship is going south or they're behind on rent or all this. It's a, it's a very sort of like powerful wake up moment. And I think this movie does do that. I just think it doesn't do it as strongly as it should because that Fucking All right, we firmly establish Adam the kid's bad. Mm. <laughs> I don't think I don't think I'm giving it enough. Honestly, I mean he's really fucking bad. All right, but let, let's focus on some of the other like details. Like one thing I really love is how the like sort of details you see they're like how they change like i love we initially introduced like him on this on the bus and like all the rats are just like oh we go by the church we do the the rosaries before uh the, uh the cross and everything and like there's all these like specific details that you kind of pick up and then just the small thing of him sitting on the other side of the bus is near being like hey sit over here come on what are you doing why don't you sit by me perfectly established just like oh this kid even if the actor's not great it's a vision yeah, he's grown up placing, he's grown up right that, that he's grown up has a different kind of thing and once again just like he's like a chess piece because he's like an inanimate object they have to move around this fucking actor so he's just like you sit over here like okay boss I'll do that I'll sit over here yeah and they totally do okay sorry Mr. Deniro um but yeah no I agree it's just like oh this kid's grown up man like he's not easily able to forgive his dad for for any slights he might have against him as much as you are when you're a kid when your dad might give you shit and yell at you as a kid and then you know five minutes later it's fine you're giving him a hug or you're sitting on his lap or he's telling you a joke you know it's 17 years old I mean, fuck my dad he's right but it's a real testament also to Nero. like i love like in terms of as a director i love all the stuff with like how like the contrast is between that like eight year time jump with like the way he has a different uniform or that his and chaz's hair is different and, like it's just enough 
So it feels like we have gone slightly into the future, but that future like has weighed on, especially the two. Like De Niro looks just like a bit older versus Chaz looks like grayer. And it's, just, yeah. like, it's not like drastic, but it's like you can tell he's lived a harder eight years, basically. Even even the way he walks and stuff. Yeah. You can tell it looks like he might have some body aches and pains or something like that. Like, yeah, he it's a very subtle physical performance from Chaz Palmetri in this. Right. It's um, really pretty fucking stellar. But what do you think about De Niro for his first time as a director? What do you think he kind of brings to this as like an actor turned director? He puts the camera right on the actors. Like he he definitely like gives them their moment to shine. There's a lot of close up scenes. There's a lot of pan shots, you know, between them all and stuff like that. That really works. Uh, it does feel like a first time director to me, but that might be because of budget constraints. I'm not a hundred percent sure, or because it's based on a um, sort of stage performance that also, you know, it's hard to navigate turning something from stage to screen. Well, especially when it's a one-man play. Right, yeah, of course. Yeah, character thing. But I still think it's a very, very well-crafted film. I think he does a pretty good job. Yeah, I think it's like, like you mentioned, like he knows how to at least try and work to the actor's strengths, like with Paul Menteri or like any of the side people. Like, I love that guy who keeps like fucking betting and losing. Like, my favorite is like when like the, it transitions over and he's like at the horse race and he's like losing bad. Like, oh my God, what's the going on? Like, even like this far into he's like the biggest loser possible <laughs> like the, the, he just knows how to like give play to the strengths of all these different actors even as bad as the kid is i'll give him credit for the one scene where i think he really works is the scene where he is in the car with like all the other kids as they're about to potentially use these molotov cocktails on like that one uh, black owned record store like that's the one time where i think i feel out of um uh, lilo bracanto which we haven't we've dogged this kid so much we haven't said his name that's the one time where like i feel the tension i feel the nervousness that's going through him, and I think it's mainly in the fact that De Niro knows how to, like, cut between him and all these other people, and especially focus on him briefly, being kind of scared, but also kind of like, no, I'm playing it cool, and then all the other kids were just like, yeah, we're very confident, we're gonna do this horrible fucking thing. Yeah, 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 fucking showing them where the Molotov cocktails are, and loaded yes. guns, and all that shit. Like, yeah, that definitely sets up the tension, he's just, yeah, he's he's there. I'll give you a credit, I, I, I agree with you. He is in that car. Once again, like, Robert De Niro's, like, using some Jim Henson craft to, like, you know, those, like, radio controls for, like, controlling the eyes and shit. <laughs> That's what uh, he's doing. Hey, I am scared. Let me out of here. <laughs> Forget about it. And you're just like, God, I wish I could like digitally de-age myself and play this part as well. Because that's going to work out really well for me in the future. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's going to be totally believable. Make him have blue eyes. Fuck it. <laughs> that's the one great thing about this movie, even with its central character, basically this kid. And as the half of the movie is this kid is a teenager, which I just don't like. I don't know if we've established that or not. You're very subtle, but it's like a it's like a Chaz Baldwin Terrier performance. Very oh, okay. Well, let me get into it. I fucking hate. <laughs> right? so, but, uh, no, but it's still even in spite of its lead central character and having a lot of moments that's just him. It still works. Like it still really does because of the strength of the setting, the time, the story, and everyone around him. Like it still really works, which is a very hard thing to accomplish when you have a lousy lead. Right. Or even something as like interesting as like later on, I was not aware of like at the last second during the funeral thing, everyone's left and um, fucking Calgary is all alone, except all of a sudden, oh, hey, a fellow mob boss comes in, Joe Pesci, <laughs> doing Bobby its favor. And it was it, like in any other thing, it would be like, oh, my God, what the fuck are you doing? here joey what's what's up but it's like he fits naturally in that scene you've 
constantly forget that it's just like, oh, it's just some guy that we haven't seen before. It, that helps build up the the world about, like, who Chaz was and how he meant to, like, a lot of people. And just, but it's fucking Joe Pesci just like, hey, yeah, forgive me, you know, whatever, yeah, it's good, it's good. Oh, hi, Bobby. See you <laughs> You ever heard of the Wet Bandits, kid? <laughs> We were in New York. We're gonna, we're gonna be really big in New York in about our forty years. <laughs> yeah, but then we're gonna be the sticky bandits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you. Because at any other time, I mean, Joe Pesci walking in for a cameo in a mafia movie or any movie, it could be distracting. Like, holy shit, what the fuck? That's Joe Pesci. Holy shit, why the hell is he here? But it, it just in this one, yeah, it works. It, it's a really cool way. I mean, it's not very subtle because it's Joe fucking Pesci. It's a really cool way, though, to sort of build up the mythos of the Sunny character to where they're like, God, where was that guy? What has that guy done? Where has he been? Uh, and yeah, I agree. I think it's, it works really, really well. Yeah, and it's a really uh, beautiful moment, even down to like him and De Niro just walking out of that funeral parlor and just that great shot of like the two of them like walking down the street. Go inside as like the doo wop group is playing. You gotta like make things full circle about the Bronx thing. It's like it's a very sweet small story. And that's the thing is like the sort of hype I'd gotten around this movie was like, oh my god, it's a great epic gangster film. And obviously, you know, when you have De Niro involved, and it's like, oh, like this is gonna be Godfather. It's gonna be some other big massive things. Like, no, it's a really beautiful intimate story just about a son being adrift between two father figures. One his actual father, the other one this guy who's like represents success in a small community where a lot of people don't have that kind of success. And I, I just love that sort of like how it clashes, uh, it's a lot about class, how it says a lot about, uh, sort of like, once again, it's Italian uh, sort of masculinity. The specific type of Italian masculinity is like, can be so overblown and so silly and can be, you know, gobbled and memed to like such a <laughs> bizarre degree. Right. And, right. But here, like, I think it does such a great deft job of just implementing that thing, especially with working class Italian versus mobster Italian, where both of them are trying to kind of maintain sort of like authority or cool around this kid. And then as like, time progresses it's like oh no that is kind of machismo that you were trying to get me on the straighter path when really it's just like you're two men who want the best for me but are like not sure which direction i'm gonna end up going and i love how it handles all that despite i agree not a great performance uh from the second half of our lead character oh god we haven't talked about that yeah, oh yeah no, good point he's, he's not good we gotta do 20 minutes on that uh but no, no he's fucking um, terrible Right, right. But despite that, um, it still is like it's a, it's a great, you know, script from Paul Materi, a great uh, directorial debut from De Niro. Makes me wish he, you know, he had directed a few more things because I haven't seen The Good Shepherd because I don't have like three and a half fucking hours to watch The Good Shepherd. <laughs> I haven't either. Same reason. Right. Uh, but at the same time, it makes me kind of wish like, oh, I wish he directed a few more things. He seems like a really solid sort of like actor's director in that way um, and could make another, you know, potentially great movie uh, with, you know, a better better lead actor who wasn't his fucking clone they grew in a vat and had the jim henson guys rig up uh but that's my final thoughts adam your final thoughts on bronx tale i mean i agree with you and i think that's the appeal of it it's not this flashy mafia movie starring de niro and palmetary it's a really sort of deep tale about a boy torn between two father figures like you had to figure de niro would be your the dad who's the foreman at a box factory <laughs> and Paul Materi's the nature photographer who eats granola all the time. When do we get to the fireworks factory? Hey, forget about it. Hold on. Yeah, it's very appealing. Hey, you ever been to Trader Joe's, kid? They got bags of nuts. Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, everything's got uzu in it. It's great. Uh, but, but, um, yeah, I agree with you. At, at its core, it's about this kid sort of having to pick 
maybe not pick, but decide what he wants his life to be and what set of morals can he take? Can he take a little bit of both or he's got to follow one path? And I, I you know, I think at the end, he's probably going to take a little bit he learned from both of them. Yeah, I, I, I think it's damn near a perfect movie other than the, the things that we've talked about to death. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think it's fucking great. I'm glad you finally got to see it. Yes, was very glad to see it. Uh, for this episode, uh, where we're done talking about our two features, but Adam, we gotta do our weekly segment, The Double Redo. Double Redo. Double Redo. Double Redo. Double Redo. Double Redo. Double 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 Redo. That works. So the Double Redo is a segment that Adam and I do every week in which uh, we talk about a sort of alternative uh, double-edged double bill uh, where each of us brings to light like, hey, here's a good movie related to the topic you should watch and also a really bad one you should not fucking bother with. So Adam, you're going first on this one for mob films. So what is Uh your uh, good and bad pick for this week's Redo? I'm doing a De Niro exclusive Redo, buddy. Oh shit, we're not even doing a Zenura specific episode. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Turned off for what? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, for my good, uh, I have it's a De Niro comedy, you know, which obviously that's what he's ended up really doing later in his career for the most part. And uh, most of them didn't work. But I think the one that really does work is Analyze This. With Billy Crystal, I I think in this this movie is so funny to me. Uh, there are so many great one-liners, but they're not like perfect to the punch, like Jim Carrey type one-liners or anything like that. It's very subtle jokes for the most part. Subtlety, maybe not, but I'm saying it's not like slapsticky comedy. It's it's really funny and against type characters of this. You know, De Niro playing this head mafioso guy and. Juxtaposed against Billy Crystal, sort of fish out of water guy who's a psychiatrist. He's about to get married. His wife is so much younger than him. His son might have a problem with it. And it's just, it's really, really funny. Uh, and also, Chaz Palmentry shows up in it too. And he's really good uh, just for a little bit he's in. But I think it's just super, super funny. De Niro plays the whole kind of gamut. He plays a tough gangster. There's scenes of him crying and Papa, where there's a cut fight going on. Uh, you know, he just loves Billy Crystal. Like, instantly, you did something. You're good. You know, it's just, it's so fucking funny to me. Um, I've seen this movie recently again for probably the second or third time I've ever seen it. And I really, really had a good time with it. Uh, and for, for my bad pick, big shocker, analyze that, uh, which is the classic Let's take a movie that was funny and let's do the same idea again, but let's make everyone dumb and really take all their idiosyncrasies they had in the first film and amplify it by 10. Like, let's just make everything so silly and wacky and over the top where it loses all the charm and any sort of sense of believability or anything you might have had with the first one. It just throws it out the fucking window. I mean, you know, another examples of that, I'd say like, Meet the parents to meet the Fockers, or the whole nine yards to the whole ten yards. Analyze this and analyze that is completely, that's exactly what it is. Uh, yeah, um, I have seen Analyze This. 
Um, and it wasn't until fairly recently. I was just like, oh, I need a comedy to watch. And I was just like, oh, this sounds like fun. I've heard this is fun. It's like, yeah, it's pretty fun. Um, I get why it was uh, pretty popular. It's a pretty solid comedic performance between De Niro and Crystal. They make a good kind of comedy duo back and forth. Um, though the highlight, we didn't mention him because he wasn't our bad feature mobsters, but Joe Fitrelli is Jelly. Um, is the highlight of that movie. Fucking great. So Fucking funny. great. Were well, they're so duct, ta- duct, duct taping the truck shut? <laughs> He's like, don't worry was, about it, Doc. There are so many moments, too, where, like, they'll cut to him, and it'll, like, it'll almost be, like, a dog reaction shot. But it's, like, so fucking funny when just, like, there's a point where they just cut to his face and he isn't saying anything. He's just sitting there like... No, he's, like, he's oh, fucking what? great. He's so fucking, funny. He's so good. Uh, I mean, he wakes him up out of bed. Doc, Doc. <laughs> he's so good. Right, he's, it's so charming, so jovial. Like, the real perfect example, like an American gangster uh, Italian character actor guy, like, perfectly utilizing that movie. And I haven't seen analyze that, because I'm aware of the comedy sequel curse, and I'm just uh, going to avoid that. Probably not going to bother with it. I think that's a uh, safe safe bet and good idea. Don't do not do right. it. Right, yes. But uh, I also uh, have a De Niro feature for one of my redos, so sadly not for both. Uh, so I'll only be three out of four for him on this. But Loser. Uh, my... Oh, that's a good point. Why am I even bothering? This is the end of the podcast. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, have a good night. Fuck you. <laughs> uh, but um, the, the one I have for De Niro, I would argue, like, it's long enough to be two movies, basically. Several movies, honestly. My good is Once Upon a Time in America, um, which... Uh, was the last one from Sergio Leone and is very much sort of like a, a rise from, you know, rags to riches kind of mobster story. But I think it's also very much like a movie that kind of killed the traditional gangster movie. Um, there's a great video essayist, uh, Dan Simpson, who kind of like did a, a great uh, essay about this uh, on his YouTube channel. That like it's a movie that's very much kind of killed like that sort of Godfather era of gangster movie in terms of, like those movies did such a great job like building up the massive world building and how, how huge this sort of like mafia crime thing can be and how lavish and expensive it can be and so many imitators would follow after that in particular but i think once upon a time america is like the perfect deconstruction of one of those stories because it does have a lot of that buildup but even within like sort of the buildup we get about like the um these like jewish immigrants who become mobsters kind of thing where it's rob de niro and james woods and a few other people they do such a great job of constantly going back and forth between this looks kind of cool but also these guys are pathetic like even during like the halcyon glory days because so much of it is old and you were looking back at his older days it's so much more about him kind of like having that nostalgia but realizing oh we were kind of fuck-ups oh we were kind of pieces of shit actually and coming to that realization by the very end when he confronts james woods about just like you know when everything was like really for fucking not it's a massive movie it's like over i think it's like three and a half hours fucking long depending on what cut you want to see watch our longer versions shorter versions and it was not very critically acclaimed at the time because what got released was a very truncated bad cut that's very uh, underwhelming but Leone's original cut eventually that came out in home video and was highly praised and I agree it's like it's just one of the best films ever fucking made and doesn't feel like it gets nearly as much credit as like any of the Godfathers really which is a shame because I think it's like on that level it is such a beautiful tragic movie um, I believe that's Neil Morcrane doing the score one of the best scores ever in that fucking movie that's so good uh it's a tremendous movie that feels like less that it's not appreciated but very underseen we've we've talked about that many times we're like critically acclaimed but not nearly as seen especially the longer version it's that one is worth sitting down for the long time and just watching in, in full detail and then my bad one 
um, is uh, not one that stars Nero, but stars a guy who we kind of mentioned earlier and was also one of the other Bugsy Siegel movies that came out in 1991. I have Bugsy. Uh, from director Barry Levinson, starring Warren Beatty, um, and uh, this very much feels like it's it's kind of a weird inverse to like mobsters in terms of like this is a movie with like a massive cast and on paper everything feels like it should be good, but then you watch it and it feels about as like interesting or engaging as mobsters is. It's like so long and dull and presents like the Bugsy Siegel character as you know. Warren Beatty, who I like Warren Beatty in some movies, but as Bugsy Siegel, he's like a himbo dude. I can't believe for a second this guy would have led, like, a fucking mobster regime or whatever. He, like, is such weird miscasting for this movie that's still so bizarre. Um, and despite, you know, some really talented people, like, popping in for certain things, like, Ben Kingsley's in there. You know, Ned Benning, of course, this is the movie where she met Warren Beatty and um, basically took him as arm candy for future award ceremonies. She's the best part of the movie, easily. She's, like, the one that injects any kind of life into scenes with Beatty. And you can tell they're kind of, like, falling in love and have, like, an actual chemistry because they were actually falling in love in real life. Um, versus everything else, just, it's, like, it makes a gangster movie feel so dull because so much of it is more about, like, planning a hotel in Vegas, which I know that was, like, a big deal. But there's so many more scenes just like, hey, we gotta, like, work out the hotel plans. Oh, hey, let's go down to the construction site and see how it's being built and all this stuff it's so dull and like it feels longer than fucking once upon a time in america despite being i think a solid like hour and a half shorter <laughs> it's so dull and forgettable and feels like it's a movie that only got nominated for 10 oscars because so many things are there a lot of famous people are in it like they spent a lot of money on this uh but for what uh very little not much at all all right now i've seen both of these uh it's been a long time for either um i remember not really getting into Once Upon a Time in America, but I, you know, I probably saw it when I was like 13, 14 years old. How the fuck am, you know, I'm like, which is long. Uh, a retrospective movie about how the gangster life isn't that great. Boring. I'm needs, needs more boobs. I'd love to revisit it, though, especially with your glowing recommendation. Maybe I will do so soon. Uh, and Bugsy, I saw it probably around the same age and thought it fucking sucked then. Uh, and I do not like Warren Beatty. Uh, so I don't think I'll ever revisit that movie because I remember everybody talking about what a kind of a bore shit fest it was. And uh, yeah, no interest in going back. Yeah, especially when like this was the year it was nominated for Best Picture alongside like oh, Silence God. of the Lambs and Beauty and the Beast and just like, oh, much better fucking movies. Yeah, well, anything else that was nominated that year is probably better too. So, Well, let's repeat our titles for everybody out there. Uh, Adam, go ahead. For my good, I have analyzed this, and for my bad, I've analyzed that. And for my good, I had Once Upon a Time in America, and for my bad, I had Bugsy. Thank you all for uh, listening, and definitely submit your own double reduce choices to us at some of our socials or our email, as we'll uh, detail as we go along here. Uh, but first, we gotta like do our ending here and get to our picking. Uh, as well for next week. Stay tuned for that. Uh, first, though, thank you to people like Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Christian Thorlally for the artwork for our show. I'll follow him at Night of Water. That's night with a K, underscore of, underscore water, on various socials for all his great stuff. And uh, thanks, of course, to our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash dedbpod, where for just $1 a month, you all get to uh, listen to bonus podcasts that we put out and also get to vote in polls you know, for movies that we cover, for example, like A Bronx Tale, you all picked that, so thank you very much, Edgelords, and uh, you get all sorts of, like, a huge backlog about over two years of content that uh, most people haven't heard just for that one dollar. But 
If you want to find more of us, uh, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod. And you can also submit feedback to us at doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And for more of me, uh, find me on Twitter and Letterboxd is at NotTheWho'sTommy. And I also do some writing both at MarianiThomas.wordpress.com and at Film-Cred.com. Yeah, I'm on the internet. Um, you could find me on Instagram at Atom or Adam. That's A T O M underscore O R underscore A D A M. Or on Letterbox at Schwanson. That's S C H W A N D T S O N. I am on Facebook. Don't even bother looking me up. Don't look for me. I'm a no. shadow in the night. No, but no matter where you go, I will find you. To find more of us, uh, please follow us on places like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on Talk Film Society, you want to listen to all the other great shows on the network, or you can dig into our archives and our Podbean main feed for 200 episodes or so before we even join Talk Film Society. And nothing else, if you can't, help us out with the Patreon we get. Even at the dollar a month, it can be tight for some people. What would really help out is the completely free way of helping out, which is to rate, review, or share the show around, because it gets us more visibility please please do that for us for little me i'm such a little cherub baby Ooh. oh well I, I, I didn't know lilo Bracanto was on the show <laughs> i'm gonna put a fork in this light socket you're gonna stop me <laughs> please stop him please i don't want to damage that plug <laughs> yeah yeah right i gotta put my hair dryer on there right exactly but now adam it's time we are picking for next weekend. Oh boy, Adam, you know, this is the last episode of September, so you know what that means. Halloween's coming. Horror month. Yes. Every year, Adam and I, we, we come from horror podcasting, so we love devoting the entire month of October to spooky episodes about all sorts of creepy, crawly things out there. So we're starting that next week. Um, and uh, if you're new to the show, uh, no matter what season, basically at the end of every episode, uh, Adam and I each have uh, either two good or two bad picks. We switch up on the quality, and we assign them between one and ten for those choices. And uh, when one person, you know, has the good picks, like say Adam has the good picks, I have to pick a number between one and ten, and whatever that choice is closest to gets us our good feature, and then vice versa usually for the bad picks. But a few things to keep in mind: one, the Godfather rule, appropriate for this episode. Hey! You come to me at the end of my episode, asking me to pick a good or bad movie? I'm just Robert Duvall. Yes. <laughs> Is this Godfather 3? Is that why you're not talking? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, no, he brought in ultra-tan George Hamilton for it. <laughs> right, of course, yes. Uh, but uh, the Godfather rule is a rule where Adam and I uh, were given a veto to potentially use uh, earlier in May of this year around our fourth anniversary. Those vetoes are still burning holes in our back pockets uh, because if we hear, like, say, I do that picking, and Adam's like, oh, hey, we're going to do this particular movie as the good pick because of your number, I can be like, actually, you know what? I don't want to pick that so I can say, I'll take the cannoli. Thus, that pick's gone. I have to go with other, other choices. How Italian is this episode? Good lord. <laughs> to be fair, look, you, you can't see the amount of hand gestures I'm doing. Me too, the whole time. <laughs> Just, hey, oh, hey, chef's kissing <laughs> it in the air. I've dropped my mic five times. <laughs> I've just edited out this I'm, I got a fucking tailor here right now. <laughs> uh, but, Adam, we should also keep in mind that uh, Patreon voted choices are exempt. 
from any kind of uh, you know picking because that's crucial to uh, the bad picks where I had two bad picks that our patrons voted on and uh, so we can't veto our bad choice for this coming episode and Adam we like doing a horror franchise every year which horror franchise are we doing this year oh we are doing finally Hellraiser yep we're doing Hellraiser from Clive Barker we've done a Clive Barker episode but we avoided Hellraiser for that specific reason yes we did Whenever we had a reboot coming, like is finally coming now, a new Hellraiser film coming to Hulu, uh, we can do an entire episode dedicated to Pinhead and the Cenobites and all of the sights that must be shown. Which, if anybody knows me, they know that is my favorite. Yep, you're a big Clive Barker person. Huge. Um, now, I'm curious, Adam, how do you feel about the Patreon-chosen uh, bad pick? Because they chose between uh, Hellraiser Hell World, one of the directed video sequels, and then ultimately the winner, which is the fourth film, the final one that was released in theaters, Hellraiser Bloodline as our bad pick. I still think Hellraiser Bloodline's pretty fucking solid. I mm. think it's better than a, quite a few of the sequels. Okay. That, that, that'll be interesting. I'm, going, I'm making my way through. The Hellraiser yeah. movies, especially the director video ones, which has been very interesting. We'll talk about it next week. But you have the two good picks, Adam. I do. So for, for your two good picks, um, I'm going to do, you know, H-E double hockey sticks for hell. I'm going to go number two. Well, I just said fuck it and put these movies in order they released. So your closest number one, the original, the OG Hellraiser. Okay, a 1987 classic directed by Clive Barker. All right, but what was your other choice, Adam? At number six, I had, uh, obviously, the direct-to-video uh, Hellseeker. Not one of the ones I've watched yet. Well, the reason I picked it is because after number four, everything was a direct-to-video Hellraiser. Yes. And to me, personally, Hellseeker is the best out of all of those. So that's why I picked it. Well, I'll definitely report back when we have come back next week. So the original Hellraiser... Hellraiser Bloodline next yeah. week. But until then, everybody, uh, you know, ever since I could remember, I always wanted to podcast about gangsters. Why am I a puppet? Can I die? Please kill me. Forget about it. I can't wait for him to appear in Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> is he a bat? The stop motion puppet, that's who he is. <laughs>